0: Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka and welcome to episode 102 of ADHD for Smart Ass Women. This episode of ADHD for Smart Ass Women, it's brought to you by AOK Every Day, my new end planner system for planning success. This is like no planning system that you've ever seen. It was designed by me. For me and you and our brilliant creative ADHD brains. You know, AOK Everyday is only for you if, like me, you struggle to use planners. This is a beta, which means I will want your feedback and I am only printing 100 planners. This is our first printing, and it's going to include three live planning sessions with me where I'm going to teach you how to plan, prioritize, and remember what you want to get done. My system, it helps to reduce overwhelm and increases productivity. So if you want to join us, you can find more information at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash unplanner. I also talk all about AOK every day and my decades long struggle with planners and schedules. I do that in episode 98 of this podcast. So let's get started. In this episode, I am going to introduce you to Dr. Melody Kufal. Dr. Kufal has a bachelor's in special education with a minor in music, a master's in educational administration, and a doctorate of worship studies. She currently works as adjunct professor at Judson University, where she runs the Workshop Arts Internship Program. She's a member of the teaching faculty of IWS Teaching Research Writing. She works full-time as music director at Hosanna Church. She also teaches private music lessons and is a recording artist recording at least one album per year. Finally, and this happened after Melody agreed to be on the podcast, she is one of our new moderators in our Facebook group, ADHD for Smart Ass Women. So Melody, welcome. It's good to be here, but boy, do I need to pick a lane, huh? <laughs> no, you No, this is actually very common for us. So did I get all of that right? You did. And it's probably funny, you know, when you write it, you don't really think about it. And then when you hear someone say it all, you're like, oh, my God, that's a mouthful. Mouthful. Do I really do all that? Yeah. And and you wonder, do I do all that and do I do it well? (laughs) I'm sure you do. So, Melody, I'm not sure how we actually ended up talking, but I know that I have a lot of ADHD women writing me who are working on their PhDs and have asked me for a podcast on workarounds for reading, writing, and just being successful in pursuing higher education. And what I do remember is that you kind of raised your hand and said, actually, you know, I've got some workarounds. I've got some tips. I can help there. So I remember that piece of it, but don't remember how we actually initially connected But that's all okay. So my question for you is before we go there, before we talk about all that, can we talk about your ADHD first? I would love to. That's what we do here, right? Yep. We start out with that just to kind of give everybody a frame of reference and to get to know you. So can you tell us, Melody, when were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed just before my 40th birthday, Okay. And what were the circumstances around your diagnosis? Why were you even seeking a diagnosis? Well,
1: I know you always like the full story, Tracy. So I grew up as a crybaby. I had emotional outbursts and there just was something that didn't seem quite right. But you know, I was in elementary school 40 years ago and how we were diagnosing ADHD, especially in young ladies is very different now. So I definitely knew there was something off. I was a good student in some aspects and a poor student in other aspects, but I was just extremely emotional, very forgetful and often confused why I would get myself into trouble why people would be angry with me, because I just really lacked that understanding, that perception of myself and the awareness of what I was doing. I am grateful that I have a poor memory because a lot of it I don't really remember. But somehow I I muddled through and with a combination of being told i had a reading disability then being in the gifted reading program <laughs> then do, doing the the hardest classes but getting Bs and Cs but then some classes were As and just kind of wandering around and making my way all the way through that bachelor's degree that master's degree and then having my my first child and <laughs>
0: realizing so can i can i hold you yeah i want to ask about school more. So you said you were a good student in some respects and a poor student in other areas. Was that relative to interest and what you were studying or was it something else? I think it was definitely
1: relative to interest. And I've heard lots of ladies bemoan mathematics, but I'm actually a numbers girl. And I have found that people are either numbers people or word people (laughs) that we're probably going to struggle on one or the other. And so anything having to do with math, music fell in that category. And as you could see Mm -hmm. that I do a lot of music, but Things that involved writing, ironically, were very difficult for me. I was a very poor reader, and it wasn't going to be until I was diagnosed that I would understand that I actually didn't have a reading disability. I had an attention issue. And so I was reading that same line in the book over and over and over again and not
0: understanding what kind of environment I needed to be successful as a reader. Got it. So that must have been really confusing as a child.
1: It was. And it was confusing why I would remember some things and not others. And I definitely grew up in a family that had an expectation that we would earn A's and B's. So there was definitely pressure if a grade was getting into the C range that made life difficult for me at home.
0: But none of us understood why I was having trouble. Okay. So you ended up going to college to do your bachelor's. And I'm kind of jumping ahead here. Sure. And I'm wondering, did you struggle in college initially? Again, I had my ups and downs,
1: but my GPA was very, very high. In college Mm -hmm. is really where I started to figure out strategies. Again, not knowing that I had ADHD, but just barreling ahead like some of us ladies do, that we're driven and we're, we decided this is what we're going to accomplish and we're going to find a way. So Reading was for the birds for me. I hadn't figured out how to read at that point, but I did figure out how to really pay attention in class and to kind of hang on every word the professor said because I was strategizing that there really wasn't anything on the exam that the professor wouldn't mention in class. So Mm -hmm. I honestly barely cracked a book because I found that these other strategies worked well for me. And then I teamed up with other classmates to put all of our minds together because I was the good note taker. And I would remember what the teacher covered in class. And then others would remember what was covered in the book. And we just kind of put our heads together. But I graduated just under a 4.0. That driven spirit in me, I can give you a hundred percent or zero percent. There's nothing in between for me.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I guess it comes back to, I don't know if you've seen that meme where there's a light switch and it says, what does it say? Completely disinterested. And then you can switch it down and it says utterly obsessed. So it's one or the other of those. It's never in between. Absolutely. And I think that's uh, very descriptive of me as well. <laughs> Me too. So when you say that you learned workarounds and for you, the main workaround was how to pay attention in class. Was that workaround primarily just taking copious notes or were there other things that you did? I started to develop some very odd note-taking systems (laughs) that
1: Mm -hmm. seemed to work for me. For me, using colors was really helpful. I would find ways to change my position during class, I couldn't get up and walk around, although I did do that during my doctoral program, but at least I understood why I was doing what I was doing. But I would find ways to, to shift my position to shift which feet were on the ground. Each shift would kind of reset my brain, because I found that I really couldn't stay engaged For more than 10 to 15 minutes. And then I would switch colors so that I could kind of get trick my brain into starting over. And I would make little symbols and little pictures and different asterisks and things to try to set things off for me. I would even do goofy things like if I wanted to remember this one topic and it had to do with something I thought was on the test, that I would write the word peacock next to it. (laughs) So it would help me to know when I looked back at my notes that, wait, this was really important, even though I was starting to zone out, I was at least getting something down on paper. Why peacock? Because it's so weird and no
0: professor ever preached about a peacock. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you didn't study veterinary science then, I guess, right? I did not. (laughs) So did you struggle with social issues? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> what, what
1: oh what did <laughs> that look like? Well, um, first off, I, I didn't have a lot of self-awareness, so I wouldn't understand why. Somebody wasn't including me in a group. But because I didn't have self awareness, I would just assume they were having a bad day and go on to another group uh, because I'm not shy. I'm a very high extrovert. So very early on, my brother would say to my parents, I don't know how she does that, but I would go into a situation, I didn't know anybody. I'd walk up for, to the first person who gave me that vibe that they were going to be open. And I'd say, Hi, my name's Melody. What's yours? So, I was really good at meeting new people. But Mm -hmm. looking back, I was very chatty. I wasn't picking up on social cues that maybe what I was talking about wasn't interesting to this group. I interrupted a lot. And I just had difficulty maintaining long-term friendships, but I had no problem picking up new groups of people. And I've definitely found my home amongst the artists who were musicians and theater kids like me.
0: Yeah. And they probably had those similar characteristics, right? Or personality traits. I would bet because the people that I would connect with most were the people who later I would find out were part of my tribe. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how that happens? so that first year of college, did you struggle with other things? You know, they always talk about especially, well, I don't even know if it's especially girls. I think it's, you know, anyone with ADHD. It's the fact that not only do you have to study, but you have to, you know, organize yourself. There are no parental like Oh, what am I thinking? I'm thinking of those those things that come up in the bowling alley that kind of keep you, what are those things called? You know, that I, keep like in. Yeah, the bumpers in the- Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there are no bumpers. You have to, you know, figure out how to get your laundry done, how to get yourself fed. And so a lot of a struggle that first year. Did you have any of that?
1: Most certainly. And I think my bigger struggles were outside of the classroom rather than in the classroom. But I remember doing my laundry and having a couple of friends laughing at me because they're like, yeah, she's doing her laundry for the first time, but I hadn't realized that it had been over a month. (laughs) Time blindness. Yeah. So, you know, I I had, um, I know some of us ADHD girls have the piles. I had piles. So I probably wasn't a great roommate. I definitely had time blindness. I was probably, you know, picking up a shirt and not really, Wondering if it was clean or not, maybe not even aware if it was clean or not. <laughs> Just kind of living my best life, but yeah, they especially that first year, uh, it was it was an emotional experience getting used to having to take care of myself and not being around others helping me to organize.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you made it through. I did. You graduated college. And then what happened?
1: Well, I was, I'm in the state of Illinois and um, Illinois has a very accessible scholarship for people who are getting their bachelor's degree in special education. And I had actually switched schools, switched majors. So I started my special education scholarship when I was a junior and it took me four and a half years to graduate, which, you know, that happens. But It was a tuition waiver and it was good for four full years. So, after I had used two and a half years of it, the state of Illinois contacted me and said, Aren't you going to enroll in school? And I said, Well, I've already finished. Thanks for the money. (laughs) And um, the person I was speaking with said, Oh, no, it's four years and you can use it however you like. So, I got a year and a half of my master's degree done right out of the gate because it was free. Wow. So that was a good motivation for me. And I discovered working in a master's degree program was just so different than the bachelor's level. And it might have been the school I went to or the program I was in, but um, but I also work <laughs> in colleges. And there's such a wide variety that you take on as a bachelor's student, and you tend to often live on campus. And like you said, we have all those different things that we're taking care of for ourselves. But when I entered a master's program, I was newly married and had a home with my husband and had different responsibilities. But there were other responsibilities that I wasn't trying to maintain on my own. And the master's classes were very interest-driven. They were focused right in on that master's program rather than having that kind of variety that was a part of my bachelor's degree studies. And why special education? You know, that's, that's an interesting question. And, you know, one that I've often asked myself, because I started off as a music therapy, music education, double major, and I, I mentioned I'm a very high extrovert. Like I'm Myers Briggs, I'm like the scary level of extrovert. So am I, Melody. Oh goodness. I've tested 56. between eighty seven and I've even tested at one hundred before. I mean, we're scary beings. <laughs>
0: I didn't know that that was the standard. I thought it was zero to 60, but it's zero to 100.
1: Well, you know, I'm taking the online freebies. So who knows? Oh, okay. you know? <laughs> I don't know.
0: Anyway, yeah, I know. I saw that the line was literally there wasn't very much left on the yeah, right hand side. Right, right.
1: <laughs> so so why special education? So I started in this music degree and I discovered that I hated being in a practice room by myself. Ah it was torture. So getting a music degree was not going to be the right choice for me because that degree just demands that kind of discipline. And I I didn't have it. But while I was in the program, I worked with some kids with special needs. And I was like, wow, I really enjoy working with this population. And I think what drew me was it wasn't just I definitely have teaching in my blood. And it wasn't just working with kids, which I do have that in my blood as well. But it was there is something cognitively or brain-wise, there's something different about these children that negates their need to do things differently. And I globbed on to that. Like that really excited me. Of course, looking back, <laughs> perhaps it was some of the things that I was seeing somebody else doing some of the ADHD things that I was I had manifested in my own life and didn't understand. But I just got a joy out of it. And I remember people would say, oh, you work with special education students. You must be so patient. And when I wasn't censoring myself, my response was, oh, no, I'm not a patient person with any of you people. I'm only patient if somebody actually has a reason why they're delayed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you really loved the challenge of going in there and figuring out what the workaround could be for them? I really did. And when I was teaching in the school system,
1: often my caseload of students was much smaller than the classroom teacher's caseload, which meant I would actually be able to invest more time and energy into working with individual students. And I call it throwing spaghetti at the wall, just having teaching method after teaching method until something stuck And I had the luxury of having that margin to work with students and just try so many different techniques to get through and to help them and to have the time to figure out, Okay, that method works. That one doesn't. Let's throw that one away.
0: I think that's a bit of an ADHD thing as well, because it was problem solving. Totally, totally problem solving. And, you know, I have to tell you, as you were sitting here talking about why you left music therapy, because you couldn't stand to be in a practice room by yourself. I have told this story before. My parents were really into music. And so there were four kids and three of the kids, plus my mother played the violin. And I started with the piano. And I, you know, it's not that I don't like the piano. I don't think I have a, a big musical aptitude, but actually, I'm not even sure that's true now, listening to what you just said. So I just hated it. And so my parents felt sorry for me. And they said, okay, so there were two teachers that they were older two older women. And one of them taught violin and the other one taught cello. And so my parents felt sorry for me. They thought, well, maybe it's because all the kids are going to the same teacher at the same time. So let's bring Tracy with and let's try the cello. And I still equally sucked, but you know what it was? It was the practicing. So my parents would require that we got up every morning at six o'clock, I think it was six days a week and practiced for one hour. And if we didn't finish practicing or if we didn't get up, we couldn't go out and do stuff with our friends after school. And so I learned how to cheat. I would figure out these workarounds. And one of the things I did is I would record myself playing for 20 minutes because, you know, we had those tape recorders at that time. (laughs) And then I would crawl back into bed because I knew my dad would never come into the room, but he would listen. And I don't know why, this one time he came in and he caught me. (laughs) and now that you talk about the fact that you hated to be in this practice room by yourself I think that was it I hated to do anything by myself I'm still like that right and so the practicing for one hour every morning it was just grueling to me and I think it was because of that because I'm an extrovert and I get my energy from people that I love totally it. makes sense. And I will tell you, Tracy, not to
1: knock what other parents do or what other techniques or other music mm-hmm. teachers. If I get a student, like, say, for piano, and it's a brand new student, I will ask the student and the parent what their hopes and dreams are for their child as a pianist. And if their hopes and dreams are to become a classically trained professional, I don't take them on as a student because I am not a proponent of forced practice. And I never have been. I didn't grow up in a household that did that. And my, you know, here. I've got a minor in music. That is my only music degree. And the majority of what I do for a living is music. So there's more than one way to accomplish being a musician. To be a very accomplished concert pianist, I don't think there's any way around all of that, you know, focused practice. So I I don't knock that. But that's not how I work with my students. And it's not how I became the musician that I am. I am very interest driven. So I will work hard on a piece because I want to accomplish it and because I have a goal in mind. But I always gravitate towards group music making. And that's kind of where I've landed. So there's definitely more than one way to be a musician. And again, just not, I'm not trying to speak poorly of people who do that forced practice. It's just if I understand that a family is doing that, I drop the student.
0: God, I I wish I I had you as a music teacher.
1: (laughs) I'm a a unique egg. I really am. And (laughs) there's pros and cons of my style. So I always say with my piano students, I teach them a method called fake. We can get more into that if you'd like. But it's a method of teaching them to kind of learn how to play just the right hand melody line that they need and to fake the rest of it to create music. It's a great way to be a lifelong player and enjoy your own music. It's a terrible way to train a pianist who needs to accompany the choir. So pros and cons, right? So it just really depends on what your goal is. But I like to have fun and I really love music. (laughs) And so if those components
0: don't live together, I'm not real interested It makes so much sense, though, especially for our brains. I mean, if we need positive emotion, you know, throwing a student into a room and saying you have to practice at six in the morning (laughs) and saying you have to keep in mind, you know, my dad's Japanese American and my mom's German. So, you know, (laughs) what do you expect? Again, not knocking
1: it. I mean, there's definitely a time and a place, and I understand why that's a decision some people make. It's
0: just not right for me and my family. (laughs) Well, it was also decades and decades and decades ago absolutely but the thing is if if there's not positive emotion and there's not fun, I just don't think our we're just not going to get good at it, you know, and I, I often tell my parents today that, you know what, I think the problem was, had you given me voice lessons, but I didn't know enough to ask for that. You know, it wasn't that they did anything wrong. I just didn't know enough to ask for it. But voice lessons, I could have totally gotten into that. There was just something about, you know, I've often said I'm not meant to accompany. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that was it. Okay. So keep going. So you then graduated with your master's and what happened then? Well, I was teaching in the schools already and the master's degree
1: I received was educational administration, which was just a natural thing for me to continue from a special education degree. It also gave me additional certification that I could be a school principal and administrator, those sorts of things. So I fully intended to be a lifelong educator and move up the you know, the food chain and get more responsibilities and continue to teach my music lessons and to have children and you know, all these mm-hmm. great things. But I was, we were, we were one of those couples that um, tried and tried and tried. And our sweet Alex took three years to to be conceived. And uh, that really changed our perspective. So when Alex was coming on the scene, I said, okay, I, I'm going to step away from education, and I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom, which had its pros and cons because I always had so many different plates spinning, and I was so busy all of the time. And all of a sudden, now my one and only project was this poor child. <laughs> and I, I love my son Alex. He's just wonderful, and it's been wonderful. Um, Having time to be a, be a stay at home mom and to raise kids, but I just didn't stay in in that arena very long, just because I I just couldn't. So I started the private music lessons. I, I don't think I ever stopped. I might have stopped to like give birth, <laughs> and then continued with my private studio. So that's the Melodies Music Studio. So that's been going on for a long time. And then I was working in the church doing music in the church because that ensemble music stuff was just what what I craved.
0: Got it. Okay, so keep going cuz somewhere we're going to get to the diagnosis. So what happened? So <laughs> just just like anything else, right? The older my kids got
1: because my son as he was developing, we would go to these doctors visits and every well visit he would have all these areas that he was excelling. He was a uh, he was learning language quickly. He had high cognitive abilities, but physically, we kept like not quite making it. And by his three-year-old well visit, the doctor was asking all these questions. And he was a no on six of the seven questions that were physically related. And this doctor said the same thing all doctors had said at every well visit. Well, you know, he's working on developing his language and he'll catch up over here. He's working on this, but he'll catch up. And I said, you know what? He's not catching up. And this is this moment where I'm like, oh, hey, another use for my special education degree. And the doctor said, well, you know, all children fall on a bell-shaped curve. And if mm-hmm. they're within one to two standard deviations within the norm, then they're normally uh, what, uh, normal development. And I looked at this guy and I said, you know what? I have a master's degree in what you're talking about. And I think you're trying to bully me out of getting some help for my son. But I don't have an HMO. I have a PPO. So if you want to write me a recommendation to investigate what's going on, great. And if you don't, I'll just go see another doctor. And he very much did. You want to waste your time? Fine, by me. And scribbled on a script and handed it to me. And that started our journey with Alex. So he was three years, three months old. Alyssa was newly on the scene, my spark plug daughter, and... We started him in physical therapy. His development was at a 23-month-old level, which, Mm. oh, gosh, like, how as a mom do you say that without, you know, tearing up? So then, of course, Alex is my main project, so I have failed as a mom because we're extreme, right? There's no (laughs) in-between. Six months into his treatment, they put him on an exercise ball, and he freaked out. And the therapist looked at me. And oh, Tracy, like the words that just kill your mom heart, looked at me and said, there's something else wrong. Mm. And I said, there's, there can't be, this is what's wrong. There's nothing else wrong. And we went on our journey and discovered that Alex had sensory integration dysfunction, which wasn't a real popular diagnosis back then. This would have been 2003, So, you know, we're, we're just learning so much and I'm so grateful that we just keep learning more and more and helping kids and adults. So Alex went to therapy. So What is that? What
0: is sensory integration? Was it disorder? Uh,
1: Dysfunction. Dysfunction. the best, and it's like, just like ADHD, it manifests differently in different kids and they have different Mm -hmm. sensory issues, but the, it's all about sensory. So Alex had some senses that were overloading and giving his brain the wrong message. So mm-hmm. he was a toe walker because he didn't like the feeling of his heel hitting the ground because the vibration going through his vertebrae bothered him. Now, wow. how many of us even noticed that, right? Yeah. The gravitational insecurity is like fear of heights times 100. Oh, just that fear of falling. And so what was happening is he was he was slow in his physical development because of all these other issues. He didn't really have a physical issue, but he wouldn't go on the monkey bars. He wouldn't, you know, run upstairs. He wasn't doing the things that other kids do that naturally develop their physical ability. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we started to go down this road. And of course, poor Alyssa is being taken to all of these appointments at her carrier and everybody is watchdogging her like, oh, is she going to have this too? She did not. (laughs) But that's just how it goes, you know? So the sensory integration dysfunction, it depends on who you ask and, you know, things keep changing, but it is on the autism spectrum. Mm, Okay. So um, Alex is... Again, if you interact with Alex, he's a high extrovert. Sometimes it's about eye contact. Alex has great eye contact. Sometimes it's about social. Alex is a social butterfly. So just like ADHD, it looks so different in different people. But he had occupational therapy, physical therapy, and they were life-changing for him. He was in therapies five days a week from age three to five, and It just completely changed his trajectory. There's just such great things that a great therapist can do to help kids rewire their brains and catch up their bodies. And it just so many people in our lives have been game changers. So his physical therapist was Miss Jenny, and she was great. And when Alex was seven years old, he participated in the McDonald's sponsored triathlon for kids. (laughs) How cool is that? Yeah. Where he he swam, rode a bike and ran. And I just was just overwhelmed because he could have never done that without his therapists.
0: Oh, That's wonderful. Right? So,
1: so cool. So, so we were doing therapies with Alex. Alyssa was being a watchdog. She's fine. And my responsibilities with my job at the church just kept getting bigger. (laughs) The older my kids Mm -hmm. got, the more blocks of time I found. And then I just um, kept doing more and more until I was eventually the director of music there. But this emotional component of the way ADHD worked for me was relentless. And I was a yelling mom and I didn't want to be. And then I beat myself up. Looking Mm -hmm. back, I was a mom who called myself stupid and lazy nonstop. I was super organized with my music studio. I was super organized with everything I did as I had several different ensembles that I worked with at the church. Super organized over there, extremely driven, very interest driven. But I had piles of stuff in my car, piles of stuff around my house. And every time I looked at that stuff, I would tell myself I'm lazy and I am stupid and I need to get it together. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good wife none of those were true, Tracy.
0: Absolutely not. But boy, they were, they were my soundtrack. So, so you were, you said when you were a child, you were a crybaby. So you, you basically brought that with you throughout mm-hmm. life and it just sort of changed as far as how it looked. Absolutely. So, okay. So I did all of this great stuff and, you know, I,
1: it's, it's a very privileged life because I was working full-time by this point at the church and I was doing full-time music, or not full-time, I was doing music lessons in my home probably mm-hmm. three days a week and seasons change
0: and, you know, sometimes it's just time to go. <laughs> Can I just say something though? I just an observation, Melody. I'm listening to all of the things that you had to do listening to what was going on with your son. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this woman was a powerhouse. She did all of this all at the same time. A mere mortal, neurotypical brained human could not do all this. So I don't even understand where the stupid and how could you be lazy? I I mean, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Sing it, sister. Sing it. (laughs) But
1: we all know like when we're in it, we don't understand. We just don't understand. So it got to the point where my job at the church, it was just time to go. You know, sometimes it's just time to change jobs, you know, so it was time to go. And as I stepped away from that position, I had been on staff with them for 14 years. It's a really long time for a music person at a church. Just We just typically don't stick around that long. But I did. And the church was near my house and we had all of our friendships there. And my, you know, my whole family was just really embedded, but it was time to step away. And as I stepped away, I looked at my, my little, my little resume because I still wanted to continue to work with musicians. I mean, I just, I absolutely love what I get to do. And my little resume had this little minor in music (laughs) and that's it. I didn't really have any educational proof that I was extremely good at being a music director. (laughs) And so I, I wandered over to Judson where I'm an adjunct professor and talked with Dr. Warren Anderson and said, okay, you guys have this certificate in, I think it was worship leadership or something. It was something related to what I had been doing. And I said, I think I need to do your certificate program so I can have some paper to prove that the last 14 years that I've been doing this, that I've actually educated, right? Because <laughs> we never think it's enough, do we? We never do until somebody says it back to us. And we're like, oh, yeah, I guess that is a lot of stuff. <laughs> so, and so Warren, um, you know, politely listened to me as so many do. And because <laughs> he could see the writing on the wall. And he said, um, Well, you know, you can, you can come here and, and you can do our program and you can waste your time and money and you can waste our time. uh, Or you can just go get your doctorate. Mm. Now, are you kidding me?
0: (laughs) With with two kids and all this other stuff that you've got going on.
1: Right. I mean, my kids were, were tweens, teens in Mm -hmm. that arena, super active, super involved, not driving themselves anywhere. And I didn't fancy myself as a person who could even begin to accomplish a doctorate degree. That's crazy. But that's how I saw myself. So he gives me this advice. And in the meantime, I'm looking around to see, you know, well, what church should I go to? And you know, what should my next next thing be? And in our area I had the giant, like the mega church. Just it's in, in my area, it was like as high as high can get. And I just kind of fell into this opportunity. My kids were doing some, doing some activities at their building. And I saw that they were doing auditions for one of their bands and it was for kids. And so I started asking questions because both my kids are very musical to see if my kids would be a good candidate. And the person I was talking to spotted me, you know, when you're a musician, you spot other musicians and said, well, why don't you audition? And I'm like, well, i thought it was only for kids. And he's like, no, adults can be involved too. And I said, well, you know, I'm kind of looking around to see what my next thing is going to be, but I can, I could be a volunteer musician. Why not? This sounds like fun. Then it was literally two days later that I went to the audition and the person running the audition kept like cutting me off. And I thought, well, I guess I'm not good enough for you, but it was quite the opposite. He said, you know what? We actually researched you (laughs) Mm. because I had, I had a couple of albums out already. And, you know, um, Melody's Music Studio is online. And so I was accessible. And he said, Yeah, we think we've got a full time job for you.
0: Okay, wait, hold on a second. Yeah, I sure. lost you from the doctorate to here. So, okay. how, how,
1: <laughs> so just, link it for me, please. Yeah, that's okay. So yeah, well, it's, it's you know, it, this is going to be the ADHD <laughs> version. And then, you know, you piece it together at the end, like that movie, Love Actually, right? <laughs> right. So, So I was going to, I, I decided I was going to go for this doctorate, but I was still looking for a job. And, oh, at the, um, okay. at the
0: same time. Okay. Same
1: time, of course, why wouldn't <laughs> I? Why don't you do both? And it was this very big church that just said, hey, we, we actually know who you are. We think we have a position for you. Um, and you don't need the doctorate, by the way. By the way. Right. Right. You know, like, oh, it's fine. You can work on that while you're here. But yes, you know, it never occurred to me that all of my experiences would be enough. Right. I have to have proof.
0: And Melody, that is so interesting because I do think that's a common thread for many of us with ADHD. This, this drivenness and this, we always have to validate that. I mean, I can completely relate to that. You know, it wasn't enough for me to go get a law degree. No, then I had to go get a master's in law degree, you know, with a better named university. And because we're always trying to prove that, yes, we are, in fact, smart. We can do this.
1: Yes. And we're trying to prove it to everybody else. And we're trying to prove and it to ourselves. ourselves. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, again, like anybody else talking to me, I'd be like, what are you trying? <laughs> Clearly, you've got game, sister. What are you trying <laughs> to do?
0: <laughs> totally. Totally. So, okay. Yeah. So, so,
1: so this, this big, this very, very large church, you know, and again, looking back on it, because in here now I'm going to enter into therapy as soon as I get rejected here. And looking back on it, it was, it was amazing. Like I was literally, I walked in for a volunteer position and they had researched me mm-hmm. and said, we have a job we haven't even posted yet that we think you're a slam dunk for. Mm-hmm. And then I went through, Seven of the fourteen interviews. Wow. Yeah, some were formal, some were informal. I had reached the top three candidates. It was a position to basically run the music program for their fourth and fifth grade, like Sunday school. I mean, that's a big that's a big facility that they actually have a full time position for that, right? And so I got down to the top to top three candidates, and then I got a message to call the person who had been walking alongside me in the process. And you know, that ADHD intuitiveness. Yeah, I knew. And I had no reason to know. But I knew when I got that message that this was going to be the end of my ride, which was just absurd because they had reached out to me like, come on. Right.
0: And and Melody, at
1: this point, did you really want it? Oh, of course, I mean it was the top of the gene pool. At least I thought it was. You know what I mean? Like, I, you mm-hmm. you don't know what's good for yourself until you walk through it, right? So I thought this was, and no, this wasn't. This wasn't where I was supposed to be, Tracy. But boy, was it flattering. And so in the end, they were very kind and very appropriate. And so I say this with a grain of salt because I don't want you to think this is what they said to me. But what their message to me was, you know. Boy, you're you're educated, you're experienced, um, you have talent, but you know, you're almost forty.
0: Oh, did they really say that? They didn't say
1: that, but they were indicating that the, the music that I had recorded wasn't quite as edgy as they were looking for. And uh, I really, I really wasn't the kind of person that they ultimately were going to see in that role. And Tracy, they were right. The kind of position they were filling and what they wanted that person, there was an appearance and there was a working with young people that the 20 some year old spiky haired electric guitar player with tattoos looked very different than the 40 year old woman they had in front of them. And he brought different things to the table. So, okay. So I talk a big game now, but how do you think I felt Tracy? I was devastated. Mm -hmm. I was absolutely devastated. I thought this was going to happen. I was so flattered to be asked to the table and I, Just, I melted down worse than I ever had. And after three days, now I know what RSD is, did not know that's what it was at the time. What what did did
0: that look like, that meltdown that you had over this? It was just nonstop
1: crying and self-loathing and self-pity and just feeling worthless and that I can't do anything. I was invited to this table and I couldn't even do that, you know. Again, looking back on it, that's a ridiculous way to see that story, isn't it? Yeah. But that's how I saw it. And all along, now how many of us have done this, Tracy? Probably for a good two, three years up to this point, I had been carrying a business card in my wallet. I had gone to therapists many different times through my 20s and 30s because I was always this emotional wreck and I didn't want to be. And, you know... Bless their hearts. I mean, these therapists were probably absolutely fantastic, but they didn't see an ADHD girl in front of her ever. They always saw somebody who suffered from depression, which I did not. Wow. I never did, but I always presented that way. So I would see a therapist for one or two sessions and then I'd leave because treating an ADHD person who doesn't have depression for depression, at least in my case, did not work. It makes it worse, right? It makes the ADHD symptoms worse. It was just, it was, it was, I just did not find a good fit. And so this woman, Michelle Green, uh, one of the superheroes of my story.
0: She's in where? In Illinois, where?
1: She's here in Illinois. She practices out of Crystal Lake, Illinois. So it's close to my home. And I had had a couple of friends who had used her for different reasons, not even for ADHD. And I just been carrying around her card. And so after a good three days of just, I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. And in typical driven ADHD form, I wrote a list of goals, two pages long of if I'm going to go into therapy, here's what I want to get done.
0: And you gave that to Michelle. I gave
1: that to Michelle. Why wouldn't I do that? Right. <laughs> And as I met with Michelle for our very first session, I, you know, laid it all out for her. And I have there's there's definitely some mental health issues um, on both my parents' sides. And so I laid out all the family history and all of my experiences, gave her the list, which should have been a tell. But, you know, I was a special education teacher. How did I not see ADHD in myself? Well, because you don't
0: hear that. All the time. Yeah.
1: You just don't. You're not looking at you're not looking in the mirror. And so went through all the things and said, okay, so Michelle, give it to me. Like which, which what kind of nerve do I have for a poor therapist after one hour to demand a diagnosis? But here I was. And I said, Okay, am I bipolar? I'm bipolar, aren't I? Because I have highs and lows and they're so big. <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, you're not bipolar. Depression? No. It went through all the different things that I was self-diagnosing. And then she just took a breath and said, Melody, have you ever considered that you're ADHD? And oh, I so said,
0: she got it. Wow.
1: Spot on. And I looked at her and I said, Michelle, that is impossible because you should see me at work. I'm so organized. I've got all of this stuff together. I'm so driven. I do all these different things. And I just, oh, Michelle is just so great. And she said, Okay. I hear all that. Do you have any piles? What is your car? <laughs> yeah. What does the inside of your car look like? And I mean, without missing a beat, Tracy, what's the inside of your car look like? Oh, it's, it's a disaster. It's really messy. I don't take care of it. I'm really lazy. I'm so stupid. I just need to take care of that. Do you have any piles around your house? Yeah, I know. Michelle, I'm so lazy. I just have to get this stuff done. I don't know why. Other really people can figure this out. I'm just stupid. And that's when she said, okay, well... I think you have ADHD. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this book driven to distraction and read it and tell me if you see anything that looks familiar. And that was the game changer. It was, there was no question. And so I really don't like doing a lot of meds. I'm a vegetarian. I like looking at herbal supplements and whole food supplements. It just, that's just kind of how I'm wired. You know, Um, of course I've been trying to like figure out my own biology forever trying to figure out how to get myself, you know, max capacity. And Michelle knew that I was because it was in this mist that I this big church had invited me into an interview. And she's pointing these out. Like she's like, you didn't even apply. They invited you in, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, yeah, but then they rejected me. And she's like, they invited you. <laughs> like, maybe you have game here. And um she she knew about the doctoral program. And after a few sessions, she said, I'm going to give you all sorts of ways that, that you can work with your ADHD without medicine. And, and lots of people do that. But I don't know that you're going to be successful in your doctorate program without medication. Are you mm. willing to consider it? And I was really blessed because my family practitioner took Michelle's report and my word for it and prescribed me Ritalin. And I know a lot of women don't have that experience and I still take Ritalin to this day. I know there's a lot of different types of stimulants that work well for people, but it works for me. So there's no reason for me not to do it. But for me, I was one of the lucky ones. The light switch turned on. I'm so jealous. Uh, You know what? I understand. And I am (laughs) so sad that not everybody gets to experience that. So I was on meds, um, Within six months of me being on meds, my entire being changed so dramatically that each one of my children separately came to me. My son was 12 or 13 and said, Mom, I think I have what you have, to which my knee-jerk reaction was, Oh, you you act just like me. You don't. Oh, wait, (laughs) you act just like me. And then a few months after that, my daughter approached me and said, "Mom, I think they might have what you have." And Mm -hmm. so these are kids, so that's going to be a different process. So the next hero in my story is Dr. Douglas Neal, also practices at a Crystal Lake in Illinois, and he started us in the process with my son. And as Alex was diagnosed, and boy, he was again like. Telltale. But one of the most formative things that Dr. Neal said to me, and as a mom, I bet you can identify with this, he listened to our story. He interviewed us with Alex, and then he had a session with just my husband and I. And as soon as we were in the room alone, he looked at us and he said, Wow, you guys have really accomplished a lot. There are so many things going on in your son's life, and look at what a good job you've done game changer. That must feel so good. It was so affirming. And he is such an incredible practitioner. I can't recommend him highly enough. And then through that process, Dr. Neal diagnosed Alex. And then Alex worked with a psychiatrist for children for his meds. He was a light switch kid. Just like you. Just like me. And just amazing, you know, um, just, just life changing. And he took a test called the Q test. At least that's what they called it in the office. And so- I said, you know, I've been diagnosed by a therapist, and I take meds, but because I'm an ADHDer, I want more proof, right, Tracy? <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> and so, um, Dr. Jill said, "Oh, sure, we can we can do the Q test with you. That'll give you a quantitative." You know, measure. And I've heard people talk about this. My Q test was stars. There were different types of stars. And if one specific star was on the screen, I was supposed to hit the space bar. Yeah. I wasn't supposed to hit it for any other stars. And they did the test on me, unmedicated and medicated, because they also said this will help us to see if your medication level is right. Unmedicated, I was attentive 12% of the time. Oh, geez. 12%. Wow. I had lived 40 years of my life with 12% attention. Look how brilliant you are. (laughs) I mean, was I using more of my brain than other people? I mean, like, how on earth did I do what I did at 12% attentive? The day I got those results, I called my husband and I said, I am so sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I want to know when you were medicated, what did that number go up to? Do you remember?
1: Yes, um, I was... I I was on a I was on a dosage that was too low that I I didn't realize because it was it just was so different for me so medicated I scored at fifty percent five zero so definitely a big difference Um, but that told them and then that was a good way for me to go back to my family practitioner to say this psychologist says I need a higher dosage. So that helped me through my journey. And then we tried a higher dosage and I never took the Q test again, but we tried a higher dosage that worked really well. They did one up from that and it made my neck hurt and it made my jaw lock. And I'm oh, like, yeah. okay, that's too much, you know? Right. So I'm a baby bear, right? Not too much, not too little, just right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep, I wanna take that Q test. I think my son took that and I I forgot about it until you just mentioned it.
1: I will tell you, Tracy, I highly recommend it for somebody who already knows their ADHD. Because yeah. if I had taken that test when I was still calling myself stupid and lazy, I would have melted down. But because I already knew I had ADHD, as I was taking the test and I hit the space bar and I knew full well I wasn't supposed to, I laughed. I <laughs> laughed through the whole thing.
0: Well, it makes you realize how friggin' smart you must be to have literally accomplished everything you've accomplished with 12% attention. <laughs> I love it. Uh, isn't I nice? love it. Great. Okay. So I'm going to have to get us back on track here. We are way behind, but it was so, <laughs> so interesting sorry. to hear your story. And you're so fun to talk to you that I just wanted to continue. And I love that you talked so much about RSD and what it looked like and how it affected you. And I have to tell you, I have a group of women right now that are going through my program, A-OK, Your ADHD Brain is A-OK. And two of them, one of them just did an interview for a job she really wants. She's a therapist. And believe it or not, she actually wants to work with women with sexual trauma. So right off the bat, I'm like, oh my God, I bow down to you. And so this is the job that she's going for. And she has been so stressed out about the waiting game, thinking this is the only thing in town. And if I don't get this, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And so she's been RSDing. And then the other one just heard, and it was a job that was perfect for her. But again, like you, she didn't get it. And so I want you to just quickly speak to how not getting that job may have turned out to be the best thing that could have happened.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, it it is no question. If I had gotten that job because it was such a large organization, it's definitely the trendsetter. And there would have been a lot of eyes on me at all times, a lot of pressure. There would have been the one right way to do it. And I don't think I would have excelled. Because I didn't get that job, I was available for the job that I currently have. And I got to start a job newly diagnosed with ADHD, medicated.
0: Don't you think you wouldn't have been diagnosed too had you got that job? Or at least you would have been diagnosed well, way I, down the line.
1: Well, let's not even go there because I don't wanna not I don't wanna have a life where I don't understand what's going on. Exactly. But what what happened in the in the scheme of things is I started therapy, I got diagnosed, I started meds, and then I saw this job opportunity where I work now at Hosanna. And I wound up getting this job at a church that, you know, everything's relative, but their music program is ginormous for the size church they are. Mm -hmm. I got this job being in charge and there is no micromanagement of me whatsoever. They trust me implicitly. I can literally do anything I want. Not that I haven't earned that right. I've got game. I know what I'm doing, (laughs) but... At the previous place, I would have had so many people monitoring me and critiquing me and all this different feedback. Not that it couldn't have been a positive environment, but I'm an ADHD girl. I get to be the one expert in that area, do whatever I want with all of the knowledge that I have, and work hand in hand with a bunch of other experts in their individual areas. And we work as a team to do things. It is such a marvelous place to work. And exponentially a better situation for me than if I had actually gotten the job that I thought I
0: wanted. I love that. I'm going to make sure that they listen to this podcast. (laughs) Okay. So the whole reason we were having you here was to talk about how to be successful in pursuing higher education. You were going to share some tips. Let's do it.
1: Okay. So I did find success. I went through my bachelor's and master's without being diagnosed, and without being medicated. But my doctorate, I was medicated. And I at least understood that I was an adhd So a couple things that I just kind of boil it down, because on the ADHD for Smartest Women Facebook group, I just felt like people kept asking the same question. And I was like rewriting my answer over and over again. So I just made some tip sheets and put them on there. So I think the First challenge for us as ADHD women is reading and note-taking and getting good content. So some tips that I will give you in no particular order. I would develop a system to mark what you're reading so that you're not having to read and then reread and then reread. And when you're reading, understand that in higher education, there's a pretty good chance that whatever you're reading is going to apply to your next classes and your next projects and papers that you have to write. So don't be afraid to highlight as you're going, have multiple highlighters, have little symbols, put peacock next to something, if that helps you remember it. But that would be my first tip in reading is to copiously taking some sort of markings on your reading. And see, now I've gone out of order because even before you do that, you really need to figure out where are you most successful reading? What kind of environment? Are you a completely silent environment reader? Are you earbuds in literally playing white noise? Are you the extrovert that I am who needs action? Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, that meant I would go to, I would actually rotate where I would be. So I would go to a Starbucks for a couple of hours, and then I would switch over to the library, then I'd switch to a park bench. I needed to have people doing things around me, but if I heard their conversations, I couldn't read. And then I had, yeah, and I actually had like a playlist that I put earbud instrumental music. If people got, if I could hear their conversations too much, then I'd have to put earbuds in. But if it was just the energy of people around me and just that kind of bustly noise, that's worked well for me. So figure out what kind of reader you are, ladies, because you probably have a main way that's best for you. And then just don't put yourself in the other situations. You know, easier said than done, I know, but we're, we'll figure it out. We're pioneers. Okay. So, so as you, you found your good spot to read, now you're going to mark up your notes. And then after you're done marking, make time for yourself to somehow take those notes. And I highly recommend typing them into something electronic. I know that it seems like a ton of work, but here's the thing. I was able to sit with my family, sort of watching TV with my laptop on my Lab and type in notes kind of mindlessly from the things that I had highlighted. Like it didn't require my concentration, but then when I had to go back and write papers or access information, I had it all electronically. So even if it was just a Word document, I could like go into my little find function on my computer and type in a keyword. And it would just show me every piece of note that I had that had that word in it. So it's so much easier to search things that are in an electronic form that you have kind of transferred over. And then you're not having to keep the stack of books and try to remember, okay, one book talked about mind reading. And it was in this course, like, that's a lot to ask of your brain. But if you have some sort of documentation of all the different notes that you've taken, then you can just type in mind reading. Boom. There's the book that you read and here's the notes that you took. So you're, you're basically organizing everything. Everything. And it. I know it seems like, oh, this is so much work, but I, I do it while the kids were watching TV. I would do it while I would get to the the pickup line for whatever activity they were in 20 minutes early. I would do it then like every single spare moment. I mean, I was, I was completing a doctoral thesis while my kids were 15 and 12, <laughs> What kind of person does that, you know? So yes, so do your reading once. Take all of your notes and then transfer it over to something electronic so that they're organized and that you can reference them without having to try to figure out what book you read that from.
0: Does that make sense? I love, yes, that comment, do it once. And this applies to anything, right? We think that, okay, I'll do that later. And then we don't know where the notes are. We, and it doesn't even have to have anything to do with school, right? It could be work then what we end up doing is spending so much time trying to find everything. <laughs> and then we get to the point where we're supposed to be studying or learning or writing from it and we're exhausted. No, Absolutely. I love it.
1: Absolutely. Okay, now I will tell, yeah, no problem. I will tell you that when I type my notes in, I type them word for word. I know that some people like to paraphrase or summarize or put their thoughts in, but I type them word for word because again, I don't want to have to do things twice. So when I start writing and I want to do a direct quote from that author, I already have it. And then I can choose to summarize. I can choose to do other things. If I'm putting notes in and I'm like, well, I have thoughts on that, I would actually put my own thoughts, but then I would highlight them in a different color so that I would know this isn't the author because plagiarism is a real thing and um, we can accidentally do it and then we feel awful and the consequences are dire. So that would be my tip is just type it in word for word. And in that document document you know, as you start that document, but the title of the book article reference and all of the citation material, you know, you're going to have to spit back out at the end of your paper. Right. Just put it all in there and you've got it. You can literally cut and paste it into your paper. So you're going to save yourself some work in the end if you are able to keep those all organized. And yeah, and then you do it once.
0: You know, the other I, thing too is they can use Google Voice type. Absolutely. I mean, I do that a lot. I will just read my notes into Google voice type and it's now so accurate because it knows my voice. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that that's my tip basically for for the reading part of it, because we have to read so many different resources in higher education, right? Because in the end, when you get the title doctor, then people now say that you're the expert in the area, which I'm telling you feels really weird. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're not the expert, who is? Right, so mm-hmm. we're gonna have to consume a lot of reading. So find your location, find your environment, mark up everything you read, type it all in, do it once. So then you've got all of this stuff available to you when it's
0: time to write. So then that oh, takes us. Wait, oh, Melody, I want to ask you a question. So, um, what do you use to type it into? You know, that has a search function. I mean, Evernote or Bear, or is there some specific? application that you use to put it all in that's easy to search for? I know, isn't there? There's lots of
1: cool stuff out there. And you know what I use, Tracy? Word document. (laughs) I didn't even know you can search in a Word doc. You can, because what I would do is I would save all the files as the article that I read or the book that I read, and I'd put them in a folder. And Mm -hmm. you can literally, like, I can go to that folder and I can type in mind reading, and it will tell me in order which sets of notes have the most about mind reading in it. And it'll tell me every single document that has the word mind reading. So then I click into that document and then I go to my little search function again and I type in mind reading and Mm -hmm. it shows me every place that I put it in. Got it. But yeah, there's great tools out there. I've used none of them and I'm sure they're fantastic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So they may be even easier than how I did it and that's okay. I'm a huge proponent of bear simply because you don't have to put anything in files and I can never remember what file I put what document in. Sure. So all you do is you literally just search all of your files. Like literally you just you know in the search and it will find them all. Yeah. So yeah. I anyway. totally get okay. That. Yeah.
1: So so you're gonna have to write in higher education. I, I don't know of any higher education degree where they're not gonna ask you to write. And the demands on your writing are just so different than your undergraduate writing. And I work with a lot of students who changing over uh, that transfer is really, really, really difficult. So you've already have your system of marking all the good stuff while you're reading. You've already typed it all in. You need to get clear on exactly what that assignment is. Do not be afraid, ladies. Talk to your professor, ask questions till you're blue in the face. Because if you're headed the wrong direction, you are just you're gonna spin out. <laughs> if you're involved in higher education right now and you haven't disclosed, your superpower of ADHD, I highly recommend you do it. You're going to have access to um, to some workarounds that wouldn't necessarily be available to you otherwise. I can't tell you how much your professor is going to understand or not understand ADHD, but I can almost guarantee you that there's some sort of system at your university for getting certification, that, that this is real. This is something that you definitely struggle with. And just like If one of your classmates had a visual impairment, the teacher would offer ways to view the coursework in a larger font or whatever, right? In some way that that person with a visual impairment would be able to consume the material. It's no different with ADHD. We have specific needs that we just need some accommodations. We're not asking that you let us do less work. I never did less work through my doctorate, but I am asking for you to. Do things like give me an example of a finished product, give me a study guide of all the things that we are headed for that we have to accomplish this school year or <laughs> this semester, so that I can work my way back because that's how my brain's going to work best. Give me examples of really bad writing so that I can see that okay, well, <laughs> that sounds like something I would have written. Okay, I'm not going to write that way. Yeah. But advocate for yourselves and don't be afraid to ask for clarity because the more clarity you can get up front, again the less time you're going to spend redoing it. And we're only going to do it once.
0: And Melody, you're a college professor. Mm -hmm. When a student comes to you over and over again, don't you look at them and think, oh my gosh, she or he is trying so hard. And that makes a difference in how you see their work. Absolutely.
1: And it always depends on how they come to me. So true <laughs> so if you're one of the ADHDers that can get really frustrated and angry get that out of your system <laughs> and assume that your professor wants to help you cuz once in a while I will have people come to me accusatory why didn't you give me this why didn't you why you know and I'll help them too I'll help everybody but it is so much easier to help somebody who is coming to you saying I need help you know than critiquing why you're not a great professor which I'm not saying that this happens to me a lot. My students are wonderful. And in general, we all really enjoy each other's company. (laughs) All right, you ready for the next step? Yeah. So now you're clear on what your assignment is. I'm going to recommend that you set up your thesis statement and your arguments ahead of time. And I know thesis statement might be like a really scary word, but all thesis statement is, what are you claiming is true? So figure out what's the ultimate thing. What are, what's the purpose of this paper? What are you claiming is true? And then I want you to list one or more reasons why you're certain this claim is true, but also list one or more reasons why people would argue with you about it. You're going to be a much stronger writer if you can acknowledge somebody's argument and have a rebuttal to it before they can even ask the
0: question. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, good. I was making sure that made sense. That's why I paused for you. (laughs) No, it makes total sense because you're going to then start compiling your list of how to argue against them, right? Which is important for your paper.
1: Right. And even if a paper isn't an argument paper, it almost always is anyway, right? Because we're trying to convince people. Right. Absolutely. So doing this can actually help you get organized ahead of time. Now, how you organize that's up to you. If it works well for you to handwrite things out, if you do sticky notes, if you're putting something on the computer and then you're literally cutting and pasting sections, if you're typing it out and then physically cutting and pasting, I'm not here to judge your system. I'm just telling you, writing all of these things out in advance before you start the actual writing process is probably going to help you out and get you organized so that, again, you're not having to go backwards as often. And you're starting to get that Clearer path,
0: which I think is hard for our brains. Right, we have all these different ideas, but then to put them together in a linear fashion—that okay, this is you know the pre. Wait, I'm, I have to go back and see what you called it. The the thesis statement, and then these are all my arguments for why I believe this thesis statement. That's probably the part that's hardest for us. Absolutely,
1: and we've already made all the connections ourselves, mm-hmm. and we've made them faster than neurotypicals have, (laughs) but we have to remember that we actually have to show them the route, how we got there. It's like math, show
0: the work, show the steps.
1: Right. But haven't you run across that where neurotypical is like, how on earth did you come to that conclusion? And you're like, well, that was easy because I saw the monkey and then the car (laughs) passed by. And then I noticed that the sky was more purple than yellow. And like, we make those connections so fast that we forget that other people haven't been on the journey with us. And we've got to go back. And you know what, Tracy, does that get annoying sometimes?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, it does. And it's because it just comes to us. So it's painstaking work to go back and try to figure figure out how did it come to us, right?
1: Right, right. And so the other piece, my next point is the keyword search. So now you've got something that you can keyword search with. You already know all the pieces that got you to your conclusion. You already know why your thesis statement is true. You know, how people are going to argue against it. Now go back and do some of your, like I kept using the mind reading example, go back and keyword search and it's going to show you all of the resources you have to back up that you're right. And then what you're writing is true. And I would encourage you to do that also in your outlining, in your organizing before you start your writing process, because it's going to help you to get all those good points in. You're always going to edit and find more stuff, but this is going to help you to have fewer backtracks to like, oh, and this, oh, and this, oh, and this. It's just going to help you to kind of get them all up front at first.
0: So again, what you're doing is you're preparing everything before you start writing. So you know where you're going, which I can imagine is not always the easiest thing for us. This makes perfect sense to me. It's not.
1: So now that I said all of those brilliant
0: tips,
1: (laughs) if you are stuck and you just can't do anything and you're like, Melody says, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do this. And I can't do any of it. Honestly, just start writing Mm. because when you are in that paralysis going nowhere phase, it's so hard, right? It's, I, I think for us ADHDers more than anybody else, right? It's hard for us to break out of that. So if you need to use my name, you can. <laughs> and you can say, okay, I'm supposed to write, I'm supposed to write this paper about mind reading. And Melody says I'm supposed to just start typing, but I don't really have anything to write because I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to say, except I know that this that's a uh-huh. ha. Mm-hmm. and you're gonna actually start writing things of what you know to be true what you know not to be true I know some people are going to say that I'm making this up but yeah you know, okay now you've just identified an argument so if this system isn't working for you if you are stuck or you're in the midst of the system and you're like I can't do this anymore and I have this one day right because I happened to us often, right I've got this one day to get this done and I'm burnt out and I don't want to write anymore so I'm gonna go instead do don't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't instead do something. Spend do do that stream of consciousness writing. Melody says I'm supposed to just start writing and all I know about this is do that for a good 10-15 minutes, then go walk around the block, then go make yourself a cup of coffee, go do your one little break and then come back. I am a big proponent of 20 minutes on and then <laughs> go get a breath and come back. Just make sure you're not going to get a breath for an hour. <laughs> yeah. But resetting your brain is an okay thing to do. So you can switch tasks. You're getting burnt out on your argument. Well, then just, just start writing a paragraph. Okay. Well, I don't really want to write a paragraph anymore. Okay. Then go back to the outline. Well, I don't really want to do the outline anymore. Okay. Well then what resources did you take notes from that you're going to have to use for your bibliography? Then just start your bibliography. We don't have to do things linear. I don't work that way. But switching tasks is a way that my brain will reset And that I'll get to still be productive doing this project, even though I don't want to continue on with that specific task. Because writing has so many different tasks to it that you really can switch from one to the other. And, you know,
0: I don't know, trick our brains into thinking we're doing something new and exciting. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that makes perfect sense. Just do something, do some little part of it, because I think the other problem, too, is we underestimate how long it takes, you know, we think, oh, we're all done. And then we have to deal with the bibliography. Absolutely. And I'm a big proponent for
1: setting timers too. When you get to a point point, you're like, I cannot do anything anymore because this is torture, then make an agreement with yourself. I will do this for 10 more minutes. Set the timer and work your tail off for 10 minutes and then know that. Be nice to yourself. I, I I try to be really nice to to future Melody. You know, like I'll get some things done for her so she doesn't have to do them. <laughs> but also, oh it's okay to take. Okay, I'm going to work really hard for ten minutes, and then I'm going to go walk around the block. I'm going to work really hard for ten minutes, and then I'm going to go on social media. Set your timer for that too, friends. Because that could but I'm a big proponent in setting these goals for yourself and then setting timers. I find oftentimes either I work through the timer if I don't let it sound off, or my timer of okay, you can do something fun over here before you have to get the work done. I'll often be done with a fun thing before the timer goes off. Like my internal clock is just starting to get more calibrated. And I'm starting to trust myself that I don't have to do this task forever. And like you said, Tracy, it's actually probably quicker to just get this done than to spread this across my entire day.
0: (laughs) Well, and then the anxiety, right? You bet. It just ruins the whole day. So yeah, if you just start, at least for me, that totally works. If I can just start anything, like you said, just pick something that sort of sets me off in the right direction. I always
1: say it's always, you can always edit what you already have. If you've got a blank page, there's nothing to edit.
0: Makes so sense. put something down and then take it from there. I love it. So, you know, uh, Melody, I, I read something that Thomas Brown had written about. Actually, he did research on gifted college students at Yale And his observation was that students struggle when demands exceed their ability to compensate for, of course, their ADHD, and that the big roadblock is often the dissertation, and that there are so many PhD candidates who they get through their entire program, and then they never complete their dissertation. So, you know, it's just it's that last 5% finisher, which I guess the dissertation is more than 5%. But then I heard Kathleen Nadeau. These are all experts in ADHD. Kathleen Nadeau, um, and Kathleen Nadeau has ADHD. She said that she believes that most of the people who never finish their dissertation but get through everything else—that those are people with ADHD. So mm. that is so disheartening to me. And I know in our group, in our big group, the ADHD for Smart Ass Women, I know that many of them talk about this, that they're just stuck and they can't seem to move forward with it. Well,
1: I'll tell you, Tracy, I'm, I'm a rule breaker, obviously. And um, in my doctorate program, I didn't set out to do this, but I actually set a record. I completed my my doctoral thesis the fastest on record to this point at the university. And I will tell you why I think I did it. Um, Wait, so how long did it take first? Well, I had a year to complete it, but you take the coursework in mid June, and I cross the finish line on New Year's Eve of that year. And it's a it's a thesis and not a not a dissertation, so there's a difference. So the ladies with the PhDs, yeah, holla, you're, you're awesome. So it's a little different in the program I had to complete. But somebody once said to me, you know how long it takes to plan a wedding? However long you give yourself. I agree. So. I knew because, like as we talked about, boy, I have all these different plates spinning and I've got all these different lanes that I live in. And I know my rhythms pretty well. I know when I'm going to have time and when I'm not. So when I took the course in June to start my thesis process, I knew that I had to launch different music groups at the end of August. So I actually did some things to try to pre-plan before I even took that June course. and I, I'm really blessed because my supervisor at work has a doctorate in leadership. (laughs) So he's gone through the process. So there was an empathy there for the program I was already in, which is fantastic. I highly recommend you work for somebody who has a doctorate when you're doing a doctorate because they're really empathetic. So I had already kind of planned some time off, but what we get into is I would have this day that the kids were covered, all the activities were covered, and I had today to work on this. I would literally go to, there was a a university nearby that had the kind of library that I needed for my studies. I would go to the library when they opened at 8 a.m. and I would be there until they closed at 10 p.m. I didn't work on one task for 14 hours. I couldn't but I did that task switching. So one of the floors had a bunch of stacks that nobody was ever walking through. And so one of the ways I would read was on my tablet and I would walk through the stacks while I was reading and highlight with my finger because that was just how my little my device worked for me. And then when I got tired of that, then I would sit down and I would try to do some, some hardcore writing. And when I got tired of that, that I would do the mindless typing it of my notes. Then when I felt like I had some energy back, I would go back to another harder task. And I task switched through that entire 14 hour period. So then my supervisor I always had Fridays off. So I knew I had these Fridays. I had to be as productive as I could. It wasn't uncommon on a Wednesday that he would say, you know what? I know Fridays your study day. Why don't you just take off Thursday and use that as a study day as well? So I had these gifts coming at me, but I used every minute. And it wasn't easy. I had to give things up. And like so my kids were 12, 13, and the other one was 15, 16. I knew that I was missing things in in, in their lives. And as a mom, you can... Go down that rabbit trail of guilt so easily. It's just so accessible to us as moms. Sure, but I will tell you, I was shocked. Oh, going to get emotional, which I don't. I don't apologize for Tracy. I am an emotional no. person, and that's okay. But uh, I had this moment where my son, when he was a freshman at college, I drove him and two of his friends home for fall break. And as the boys got into the car, they all addressed me as Dr. Kufal. Now, I am a very first name girl, you know, like in lots of situations, they just call me Melody, but they all addressed me as Dr. Kufal. And I said, why? You guys, you just call me Melody. And I'm like, how did you even know? Well, Alex told us. Oh, he was so proud. And then as, as time went by, I learned that Alex would, like these guys in this car, well, you hear a lot from college boys when you're driving them home on a break. And- <laughs> They were talking about how, well, whenever we complain about writing a project, Alex always says, shut up. My mom wrote an entire thesis. You can't complain about writing anything. (laughs) (laughs) And so like this, this message had just been like embedded in my children. And then I saw it with my daughter as well, that we would be in different situations. And one of her friends would address me as Mrs. Kufal and she'd say, it's Dr. Kufal. And I was like, really? Like this is important to them? But I think one of the pinnacles was um, somebody was talking to Alyssa wants to double major in psychology and music. She's a senior in high school right now, and and somebody said to her, "Well, you know, how far are you going to go with your education?" She's like, "Well, I'll probably get my master's degree right away, but I'll eventually get my my PhD." And mm-hmm. I looked at her and I said, really? And she said, well, you got one.
0: (laughs) And isn't that true? So she looks at you and says, well, if you can get one, I can get one too. That's right. But, you know, isn't that true of our lives that we don't know what we can
1: accomplish until we do it? And so we have like, we have this like line in the sand of like, I can't do more than that. And then we big fat do it anyway. (laughs) And we realize that the line is moved. That we actually, like, we're capable of so much. And it's not about accomplishing it and that that's that's our worth, although that tends to be what happens sometimes with us as ADHD women,
0: but that we can really do whatever we feel like doing. We absolutely can. Okay. (laughs) You are now the longest podcast of our 101 episodes that we have recorded, it's been so much fun, though. I want to ask wow. you one more question. Okay, let's let's go. And then I'm going to let you go. What do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? I think that you have to love yourself.
1: I think you need to forgive the mistakes that the past version of you made. Because that's not where you live. The past is not where you're living anymore. And seek reconciliation, seek forgiveness. All those things are important, but don't dwell there. The present you (laughs) is in this gift of the present. Do what you set out to do, but love future you enough to try to accomplish things for her, to make her life better. it's not uncommon for me to write an email to future me of like, hey, you know what? This is what I didn't get done today so that I can pick up from there the next time I sit down, but also to push myself to do just one more thing, knowing it'll be easier on future me, and to just embrace that this is how you are made. There's no mistake there. We've got pros and cons. You know, I'm driven perfectionist. There's good and bad with that, but that there's no mistake in how we have been created, that we are really special lights in this world. And ladies, you are all those special lights. So love who you are, love on your future self, do great things for her and live your life in a way that when you get done, your pockets are empty. That there is nothing you haven't given, no talent that you squandered, no love that you didn't share. Finish off with empty pockets
0: Oh my gosh, I love that. I've never heard it phrased that way. Finish with empty pockets. Okay, I just wrote that down. <laughs> it
1: was just a phrase that came to me once and I thought that's exactly how I want to live life. Empty pockets. I didn't save I didn't save one thing. There's no regret, there's nothing I didn't do, there's no love I didn't extend to somebody, there's no grace. I, you know, I, and and I get stuck, you know, when you look back at, you know, undiagnosed version of me. Yes, she made a ton of mistakes, but man of oh man, I got to start a new job with a clean slate, with a new diagnosis, with meds. None of those people know past me at all, but we're all benefiting from all the lessons that I learned. So yeah, we're going to make mistakes. Learn from them. Learn from the good stuff. Learn from the bad stuff, but love yourself because ladies, you got so much to give. We are so specially made.
0: Ugh. That's so beautiful. You give me goosebumps. Okay, Melody, where can people find you if they want to know more about you and what you do? Well, you know, there's so many different lanes to my life,
1: but the, the <laughs> we best know. way, yes, the best way is just hit me up on my website, melodiesmusic.com. There's lots of ways to spell that. So it's M-E-L-O-D-Y-S-M-U-S-I-C.com. And there's this little contact me button there. So you'll find my recordings there. You'll find lots of different things that I'm doing. Not everything is there, but that's the best way, the central way to get a hold of me.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. This was so much fun. I felt like I was talking to an old friend. You know, Tracy, I feel the same way. And when you messaged me
1: and you left a little voice memo on a Facebook direct message introduced yourself, just hearing your voice. I literally, my husband will vouch for it. A tear rolled down my cheek because once I discovered you and once I discovered the community of ADHD for smart ass women, I found my tribe and I didn't know that you guys were out there and I didn't know I was needing you.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been (laughs) awesome. I appreciate you. It has been, and it's also been the longest one. (laughs) Feel free to edit down. (laughs) And I don't care. I don't care because I loved it. So that is what we have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Dr. Melody, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they, too, may discover their amazing strengths. And, you know, your reviews really do help in that regard. If you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at Tracy at TracyOtsuka.com. One final thing, just a quick reminder to check out AOK Every Day, our Unplanner system for planning success. You can find more information at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash Unplanner. But please don't dilly dally because when the 100 planners are gone, they're gone for good until our next printing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smart Ass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smart Ass Women—it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smart-ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyotsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our "Your ADHD Brain Is AOK" system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.